What's the password? <laughs> Welcome to the Game Master's Speakeasy. Brought to you by the record button. Hello and welcome to the Game Master Speakeasy. My name is Cody. And I'm Lance. So come on in. You found yourself at the Game Master Speakeasy, but anyone who has even the fleeting interest in tabletop role-playing games or just kind of nerd stuff in general is welcome to come in and sit down, relax, and enjoy. Uh, today, the bartender, his name is Olaf. You can go get a nice alcoholic beverage if you are of age or just something delicious and tasty or... Thirst quenching if you are not of age. Milk uh, we're going in to a dirty glass. <laughs> uh, we're going to sit here and talk about tabletop role-playing games, maybe some other stuff too that is tangentially related. But uh, first, Lance, how are you doing today? I'm doing well. How are you? I am okay. I'm kind of excited for a uh, something that I get to play with when I get home alone in the alone in the garage. Okay. All right. But first, let's talk about news. Uh, I have my drink here next to me. Uh, go get yours, sit down next to the ever-burning hearth, and listen as we talk about Vikingverse. Are you familiar with the Vikingverse? I am not familiar with the Vikingverse, but it sounds like something I'd like to be familiar with. So I don't, I don't, honestly, I don't remember the author's name off the top of my head. I think it was Ian Stewart Sharp. Apparently I do remember the name. Uh, anyway, he is the author of, I think there's like some comics and some novels set in basically like sci-fi Norse mythology. Okay. And it's during Ragnarok, if Ragnarok were happening in, like, a sci-fi future Norse mythology. Okay, so we're talking, like, uh, like Too Human? Uh, I never played that, but I think kind of, maybe? That, that game was, like, a, a unfortunately never made it into the sequels that it should have. But uh, <laughs> that was a really neat, like, Norse mythology sci-fi game. You play, you play as Balder, and his whole shtick is that, like... Most of the the Norse gods in the pantheon have gotten this powerful because they've gotten cybernetic attachments. Like that's their path to godhood. Okay. And Balder is considered to be too human because he doesn't he doesn't take to the augmentations like the others do. He doesn't like them. But anyway, yeah. So that sounds like a cool setting, and I like the idea. Okay, that's uh, that's pretty cool to know. Then I, it may or may not be similar to that. I saw art. Uh, from the core rulebook, because this is a tabletop roleplay. Basically, the news piece is that there is a tabletop roleplaying game set in this Vikingverse that just hit Kickstarter. Well, by the time that this releases, uh, it didn't just hit Kickstarter. There's At the time of recording, there's like uh, less than two weeks left. But it's news to us, and if you're listening to this, it might be news to you. So check it out. It is powered by the Shadow of the Demon Lord system. I was about to ask which system yeah, they running it is this using, on. It's, it's, it's on the bones of Shadow of the Demon Lord, which means it'll, it should be relatively easy to run. Uh, and that uh, So you've still got semi-tactical combat and then really easy to run role-playing checks. Essentially, how does uh, how does the Demon Lord system stack up when it comes to ranged combat? You know, have you read enough of it to give me a? Well, I, I don't quite remember. Mm -hmm. um, I think it's I think it's not too dissimilar from Lancer, because uh, Lancer is based on Shadow of the Demon Lord, okay. or or at least the role playing section is. Um, you'll ha you'll maybe you'll have to go read it yourself. Yeah, because uh, I out. I read Shadow of the Demon Lord, but that was like two months ago. Okay. So in in just that one read I did, I, I can't quite remember. What really stood out to me about Shadow of the Demon Lord was the way initiative worked. Uh, you just declare that you want to take a like full turn or a fast turn, and then you default to the players going first. 
So okay. if everyone wants, if everyone in the party wants to do a fast turn, and all the players who want to do a fast turn get to go first, then the enemies who want to do a fast turn. And I think the difference is whether you get one action or two actions. Okay, then like full, if you declare full turn, you're playing yeah, on essentially. Two, basically. Okay. And then so if everyone wants to do a full turn, but then the monster does a quick turn, then the monster gets to go first. Okay. Been, that's that's what I remember. I like that because there's no stopping. You don't say, "Hey, roll initiative." We take two minutes to everyone roll their dice just, and write down the just results. You it. just jump right into combat, which uh, really helps with flavor. So to have um, sci-fi Vikings uh, just jumping right into combat, I really <laughs> like that. Uh, I saw a piece of artwork that was showing the Berserker, and the Berserker had like this really cool rifle that looked like it had two barrels, and he had super sci-fi power armor on that nice. kind of looked like pretty sweet. But it's supposed to be set... Uh, in a universe where uh, Christianity was put to the sword and Viking mythology rules both the sea and the stars and their uh, spaceships and okay. things like that. And then Ragnarok happens or something like that. I don't know. I've never read any books, but I just know that um, I like Viking stuff. I'm excited because the new God of War game, God of War Ragnarok, yep. will release, I think, later this year, right? Yeah, I'm pretty sure they had the release trailer happen not too long ago. I mean, I'll, I'll buy it day one. Right. Like, that's, oh, of course. that's happening. I, I don't buy a lot of single-player games day one, but a Viking, but God of War Viking, well, I mean, the first I, one was great. You know me. I do about an annual playthrough of the entire God of War series front to back. Like, about every year or every two years, I sit down at the beginning of that series. Chronologically but, or by release date? Chronologically. So okay. I play the story in order from front to back. So I start with Ascension and, you know, move my way through it. Um, so if I asked you to make a, a YouTube video where you just explain the lore of God of War, you could do it without having to have reference material. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> I mean, I, I have played through that game series a lot. <laughs> Even the newest one, I think I've been through four times. Wow. So I have only played that one and a half times. So that's pretty, uh, pretty dedicated of oh, you. My kids beat it twice at least. Are you? Do you feel any like kinship with the protagonist for some reason? Um, I mean, he's a bald guy with a beard, so you know <laughs> that, got that was that my going. joke. <laughs> <laughs> um, so anyway, by the time this episode comes out, if you're listening to it. Uh, the Viking Verse RPG is called When the Wolf Comes. It's powered by Shadow of the Demon Lord, and the Kickstarter will have already ended, but I'm sure you could still find a place to pre-order it on Backer Kit or something. I'd be surprised if you couldn't. Check it out. Uh, other news. We just had San Diego Comic-Con happen very recently, and even though we have not played a superhero RPG yet, it's on my to-do list. It's on my bucket list of things to run. So we're going to talk about Marvel Phase 5 for a brief amount of time. Uh, were you aware that they had announced uh, officially Marvel Phase 5? Um, yes, I am familiar with the announcement of it. Honestly, I haven't seen anything past uh, Endgame. Okay. Um, I am pretty stoked for Secret Invasion, which is uh, it's going to be a more uh, S.H.I.E.L.D.-focused thing because it's centering on... Uh, Nick Fury, mm -hmm. uh, Samuel Jackson's character, and uh, I can't remember, I think it's Maria, uh, Maria something rather, Kobe Smolder's character, she's like her, she's like That's his lieutenant. A, she was from uh, How I Met Your Mother. Yeah, yeah, she was, she's of How I Met Your Mother fame, but then she played that S.H.I.E.L.D. agent. Mm -hmm. uh, Mar or Maria Hill, that's it, that's it, Maria Hill, and they're going to deal with uh, the scrolls. Are you, are you familiar with the scrolls? They're shape-shifting yeah. aliens. They're the shape-shifting aliens, and that's why it's a secret invasion, because they're, uh, you know... Because they're shape-shifters. Because they're shape-shifters. I'm pretty excited for that. That's going to premiere on Disney+. Plus. 
Of course, I love Guardians of the Galaxy, so they've announced a Guardians of the Galaxy 3. Uh, they've got Marvels. Did you watch Loki Season 1? I No, I haven't seen any Disney oh, Plus that's right, or anything. Because you, you, don't, you don't subscribe to Disney Plus at all, so you've missed out on everything that's on there so far. Correct. Oh, man. the the Lo I will say that Loki was so good. Loki was so good. I wish that you would uh, subscribe just for like a month and binge it. <laughs> um, anyways, uh, that's kind of related because they had, what was it, last year we talked about, was it earlier this year or last year we talked about the Marvel tabletop? The one where if you roll like 616, it's like, yeah, a, that's like a your crit. crit bonus. Yeah. yeah, if you roll 616 because it's going to be a D616 system as they're calling it. Mm -hmm. um, that had its play test. I still don't know when that's coming out, but I like that... Uh, Phase 5 is announced, uh, because I, I don't know, I'm, personally, I, if I'm gonna rank my superhero fandom, it's gonna be Batman at the top, yeah, yeah. then Marvel, and then the rest of DC, DC. right? Well, actually, no, I would put, uh, Valiant ahead of DC. I was gonna say, I, I like some of the more smaller, obscure comic book stuff. Yeah, I'm, I'm um, a big fan, I like, uh, I like Exo Man of War. I, there's a there's a, a a commentator that I listen to. His name's Eric July. He's a big comic book fan too. He talks a lot okay. about that. He has actually started his own comic book company called the Ripperverse. Really? Yeah. And his like they I think they just kickstarted the first book that's coming. But he has this whole mission statement. Like he's like I'm not rebooting the universe like the way these other comic book companies do. Anything that we do is canon. Period. Full stop. I love that. I like the, I like what he's doing. I've thought about buying his first book. Um, it looks like good stuff. And this is a guy that like us is. A big comic book fan that has I, taken. I don't like a, reboots and I don't like crossovers. He's, if, if I'm if I'm reading Batman, I don't uh -huh. want to have to also get Red Robin number fifty eight or whatever. I, you know I don't what I mean? know. I, I don't know what his views are on crossovers, but I know that like the rebooting and the constant resetting of the universe yeah. that these series have to do, he's adamantly against doing. Cool. That. I like that. Um, on the subject of of uh, of superhero or, or comic book style tabletop games, um, I'm pretty sure that they have announced, and I, you, know, you might have to check me on this, but a sequel to, or a reboot of, the Necessary Evil module for Savage Worlds. Really? The Necessary Evil module, the, like that is a, is a superhero setting where you play as a bunch of villains. These aliens came down and wiped out all of the superheroes in the world. Oh, so then the villains And the villains to... basically, they're like, well, if we want to keep doing what we're doing, we're going to have right. to put a stop to this. And I think there's a sequel coming out for the newest version of Savage Worlds. That's pretty cool. Be, I didn't that, play. That I didn't, might be fun to play. I didn't play the first one, but it, the cool thing is it's one of their plot point campaigns. So it's designed to be a... X amount of sessions and right. then you're done. Like right. it's you're not like you're not gonna you're not gonna run a six year campaign. It's like we an do with adventure this. start to finish. Yeah, basically. So I have thought about looking into that because I mean we've talked a little bit about. I know you've never been super warm on Savage Worlds, but if I can get enough people on board for some Savage Worlds stuff for the play test for the module that I'm making and stuff like that, if you guys want to do some superhero stuff, I would GM a Necessary Evil. Oh, I would totally play it. Okay, yeah. I, yeah. I, I'm interested in uh, playing a. Superhero RPG, and then I'm also interested in running one. The mm -hmm. one I'm looking at is Mutants and Masterminds, okay. which is a D20 system, so okay. that'd be pretty familiar for the group. Uh, next on the news, let's keep moving on. Spelljammer is a... Are, are you familiar with that? I it's, know a, it's a D&D &D setting, isn't it? It's a D&D &D setting. Yeah, yeah. So, we talked okay, about so, it a little bit. So, so, so how Starfinder is Pathfinder uh, sci-fied up, uh, Spelljammer is D&D &D in space. Mm-hmm. It's, it's still, like, 
it's still D and D. There's still it's all fantasy. It's just that you're taking your fantasy through the flagistan. I think is what it's called. I don't know. Aren't, the, aren't, you, aren't your wizards like the ones piloting yeah, the ships? The with wizard magics? has to attune to the helm and mm-hmm. and pilot the the because spelljammers are what the ships are called. Yeah. If I'm I've never played it, but. Uh, that's where giant space hamsters enter the D&D canon <laughs> because they're, that's like an actual thing, I think. Giant space hamsters. Giant space hamsters. hamsters. Um, space hamsters. Uh, anyway, if this episode this episode is airing on the 21st of August, and I think the, in, the American release date for this book is uh, 16th, so it's already out at the time of this. Okay. At the time you're hearing this, it's already out. Some other news, at the time of this recording, um, which is about a week ago... They also put out one of my favorite kinds of 5e, even though we're not playing 5e, this is the type of book that I will still buy and read through, because it's uh, 13 adventures. It's like, it's, uh, I love the books that are a bunch of different adventures, or an adventure, like things that I can uh, steal from, essentially, good ideas for uh, plot points. And it's called Journeys Through the Radiant Citadel. A, they are kind of introducing this as a canon location in the Forgotten Realms. The Radiant Citadel is a place in the Ethereal Plane, which is one of the planes that has kind of the least amount of lore to it, honestly. Uh, anyway, the Radiant Journey Through the Radiant Citadel has 13 standalone adventures uh, set in wondrous lands for the world's greatest role-playing game. Uh, I am excited because, uh, well, there's one caveat. It's levels 1 through 14. Do you know why that irks me? No, but I'm sure you're going to tell me. Because I am tired of them not making content for high levels. You know, we've talked about this before. It is really weird how a lot of these level-based systems don't build out content for anything old. I mean, most campaigns don't make it that far, but why not? I mean, is, is it a chicken or an egg thing? You know what I mean? If they're not building content for stuff up from 15 to 20, is that the reason that people are stopping their campaigns before the before 15 to 20? Yeah. Or is it the other way around? Is it because nobody wants to play? I don't know why you wouldn't want to play there. I want to get up to God mode. Right. As a player, like, if I know in most level-based systems, once you hit that peak 20, whatever the highest level is for, for that particular setting, you know, that's the point where if your character's were inclined to face down the gods or archdemons or just really, 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 really powerful stuff, that's when you do it. I want to be at that level. I want to see what that looks like. I want that power fantasy. At what point does Wizards just give up and uh, reduce it to 15 levels? I mean, if you're not going to make content for it, you might as well just make the level cap 15 and call it a day. I, I always see on Reddit threads and stuff people talking about, like, oh, if you do this, then you don't get your 20th level end cap. I'm like, okay, but no Whoever one runs plays that. to level 20. Yeah. God, we've been playing for how long, and we're only finally approaching it. I mean, yeah. part of that was because of COVID. Well, and, and I mean, we did play on and off. It was one of those things where we're going to put the campaign on hold for a little while, test some stuff out, play some other stuff, and then we've always come back to it. But no, I, I agree with you. You know, everybody worries about their end cap stuff. I look at the Barbarian's end cap in 5th edition where you get a whole bunch of extra constitution, a whole bunch of extra strength at level 20 and you think to yourself, but why wouldn't I multi-class? What's the chances of me running in a campaign that's going to make it all the way to level 20? Oh, yeah. It's it's very uh, very slim. Yeah, unless you're starting from a higher level. Well, like I said, is it a self-fulfilling prophecy that comes about because they don't make content for it? Because, I mean, you custom build most of your campaigns and don't run a lot of book adventures. I do the same thing, but there are GMs out there that run almost exclusively their content from these modules. Oh, well, yeah. if the modules cap out at 15, then 
why would you even aspire to run to 20 if you're not making your own content? Which is, uh, you know, sometimes people do those adventures, and then after they finish the book adventure, they keep the story going mm -hmm. and, you know, just go from there. But yeah, the book doesn't run you to 20. I would love to see a 5th edition book, an adventure that runs levels 1 to 20 that, well, isn't... I think Dungeon of the Mad Mage does it. Does it? Is it the I th only I, one? <laughs> if, I could be misremembering, but I think Dungeon of the Mad Mage does go to 20 okay. because there are X amount of floors of the dungeon. I could be wrong, okay. but most of them stop long before then. Like, well, yeah, I mean, all the, all the, the storm King's thunder, uh, curse of Strahd, those start, those stop long before level. Yeah, 20. All the, most of the content that I've read from it, like regenerated adventures for fifth edition and stuff like that. Almost always they're either like low level up through 10 or like 10 through 15. And there's like nothing else. Speaking of dungeons, actually, another piece of news that I recently learned, we've talked before about Level Up Advanced 5th Edition by uh, uh, whichever, N, N Publishing, I think was the one behind it. The people that are behind N World made the advanced, like, third-party advanced 5th Edition. Is that the one that makes it more crunchy? Yeah, it's slightly, slightly more crunchy 5e. Okay. Uh, and they... This is another piece of news that I don't have on the thing, but I just remembered. Uh, they have a Kickstarter coming out later this year. I looked in multiple places and I couldn't find a date when the Kickstarter was going to happen. But I am keenly interested because I've always wanted to run uh, a multi-level dungeon. That's something that we have never done. You know, like, you're in this dungeon for multiple levels. Yeah. Like, level ups, essentially. Uh, that's something we've never done. Entire campaigns have been built around Mega Dungeons. That's what Dungeon of the Mad Mage is. <laughs> they have uh, an entire book coming out on Kickstarter later this year called Dungeon Delver's Guide. And it's about crafting a dungeon and also working a story into it. They, The thing that piqued my interest the most is that they are going to have a dungeon building system in their book that is sufficient enough that they gave it a name called the nodes system. Okay. So anytime that someone uh, gives their rule set a name that speaks to me that they believe that it is worthwhile they, enough. They've taken it seriously. To, that they are taking it seriously. Now, that is that foolhardy? Like, have, am I going to go in there and be disappointed? I don't know. I'll find out when I get there. However, from what I've seen from Advanced 5th Edition, if I was going to run 5th Edition again, I'd do it with Level Up Advanced 5e. See, you know what I think would be kind of a cool way to start a campaign? Have a bunch of, like, adventurers that are, like, level 3 to 5. That all get because you hate starting at level one. I do hate starting <laughs> at level one. I absolutely loathe it. But let's start at level three to five, and the whole party don't does not know each other, and all gets kidnapped and dropped in this dungeon, and they have to find out why and survive the trip out of it. Oh, that'd be cool. You know, like like the horror movies where people get drugged and end up in some like horrifying scenario, but then the party is forced to work together to survive. Um. It's, it kind of makes for a cool introduction that doesn't involve them all meeting in a tavern for no damn reason. Um, and it gives you an excuse to make a big multi-level dungeon that they have to escape. Oh, yeah. yeah. That's actually kind of a neat idea. I like that. All right. That's something to think about. Anyway, uh, for those people that want to learn more on crafting your dungeons to be very interesting, keep your eyes peeled for the Kickstarter on Dungeon Delver's Guide later this year. Uh, last piece of news I have is very, uh, selfish. It's only related to tabletop in that it is related to a dead tabletop war game called Warhammer Fantasy Battles. Okay. Uh, I'm a big fan of the Total War Warhammer series. Yes, yes. 
And Total War Warhammer 3's Immortal Empires Beta releases on August 23rd, which is two days after the day this episode airs. So if you're listening to this episode on the day that it airs, know that two days later I am dead to the world. I'm going to be glued <laughs> my ass to my computer chair. Um, I've been considering canceling game night that night because it is a Tuesday. Because it's going to be all three games, factions, and races on one map. Uh, with big updates to some of the older uh, factions, like vampire counts, are getting an overhaul so that they can do more besides field skeletons and casts death wind of magic. Is it a Cthulhu night or is it a is it a Pathfinder night? Oh well, here's the thing: Cthulhu might not even be running at that point. Okay, so, so it's a ways off. It's 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 so it's a it's a ways off that I haven't bothered to figure that out yet. Okay. Uh, anyway, well, if it's that far out, you could probably get away with canceling it. Nobody right, has yeah. a tremendous amount of sleep over it. Um, but we're also not going to play the second. <clears throat> Because of uh, Dan's got a like a, a function coming okay. up, which I have to. I should probably tell the group that. Anyway, uh, <laughs> I am so excited because the Warhammer Fantasy setting is so cool to me because it it the old world leans into the fact that it's kind of a ripoff of Lord of the Rings, and then it just turns so in order to differentiate itself, it just turns up the grim dark to eleven. So it's uh, like like history is Lord of the Rings, sort of, and then. Everything that you're playing is after that when things got super crazy. Yeah, I I just love uh, every character's origin story is like oh and then he fought through piles of orcs to reach his command <laughs> you know, like and reach the commander he died and was drug along ten miles of rocky ground and his skin flayed from his muscles it's just all so you know gross thirteen year old <laughs> badass kind of like it, it kind of reads like a thirteen year old right like my, my edgy goth <laughs> days in high school right yeah it's just like everything has to be cranked up you know the dark elf king the witch king um is his name is malekith and he was uh he walked through the fires of Ashurian to try to prove himself worthy as the phoenix king and it burned him horribly scarred now he wears big plate armor all the time like he's darth vader uh <laughs> it's it's just a really cool setting and the wiki is is because it's been around um Correct me if I'm wrong, but Warhammer Fantasy happened before 40k. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 40k is I uh, undoubtedly more popular. Yes. Uh, as a that's the one I'm most game. familiar with. But the the lore of Warhammer Fantasy has been around. It started before 40k. So in the same way that you can get lost in the 40k wiki, I sometimes just go on the the Warhammer Fantasy wiki and then just like start clicking through links. I have done that on 40k wiki. Like oh yeah, crazy. You know that's that's how you learn. Digging. That's how you learn that uh, the ogre over tyrant Greases Goldtooth ate his own father to become the new <laughs> over tyrant or something like that. Is that how you become an anyway, over tyrant? That comes out on. Tell my kid. Yeah, <laughs> that comes out on August 23rd, and I am so stoked for it. Anyway, on to our RPG experience for the week. So what have you done? Uh, I don't have a lot to talk about. No, because um, we haven't played Pathfinder or Call of Cthulhu yet. We've got our upcoming mm -hmm. Call of Cthulhu game that will probably... Mm -hmm. My guess is it will somehow, for better or worse, wrap up the current adventure. Okay. Um, <clears throat> we, got, I... we got to hurry because if we don't get to the drink, mine will be gone, gone. by the time yeah, we get no, there. I mean, other than just 
printing minis in mass. I know that we, we can talk about our, our soon. Well, you've got yours already. Mine's coming. Yeah, that's actually you and Is I. Is that both our new have, section? Just new printers. That's actually what I have here. <laughs> got a new printer to set up. Both you and I have ordered the Photon Mono 4K. Yep. Got we 4K, are not baby. we are not fancy enough yet to drop the money for the Photon X 6K or any of the 8K printers. Is that like eight hundred dollar one. Yeah, those yeah. are. That's where you start to push it, right? Yeah, it, it was I, just on sale for two hundred. That is well yeah, within my price. You know, they they say a couple hundred hey, bucks on a printer. If you're going to buy an expensive object, could you buy it twice? Mm-hmm. Right? And if you can, then you should. Then you can work it into your budget. Yep. I could buy a $200 printer twice if I had to. If I had to. The $700 printer, that might make me a little queasy. Well, my question is always, how much better is the 700 than the 200 Right. Like, is it $500 better, or is it more <laughs> like an extra $150 better? Well, you've been running the uh, the the older version back here that has, you know, eight, six-second layer height print yeah. times. So yours is a two-generation jump, essentially. Yeah, I was going to say, because you, you sold me this one. Mm-hmm. And you bought one generation above this, so yeah. you're only making one generation jump. I'm just but supposedly flip. it's two times better than the one I had. I mean, I was just happy when you told me that it's got like two second layer times <laughs> because that's going to reduce my print times by like sixty six percent. Speaking of printing, I printed out some water tiles from Cast and Play Miniatures, which uh, they they basically have this system that Is someone it? else came up with. Uh, where you can have like dungeon tiles, mm-hmm. but and they have this uh, locking mechanism that you can use to lock them together. Okay. Uh, and these water tiles, I just I've started printing. They use up a decent amount of resin, yeah. but once you have them, you can use them for the rest of your life, right? Because they're like, oh, it's water. Yeah, just I'm gonna use it anytime I need water, water on the map, right? Um, so I, I printed those out and I have them primed, but I haven't painted them yet. I'm just uh, gonna use some quick dry brushing. Uh, how many different terrain tiles did you get? Water. Well, I, I specifically bought the water ones when we were mm-hmm. running the the pirate campaign. Okay, that uh, makes sense. They they have many many tiles um, for sale, uh, and I thought about buying more, but I'm you know I just I decided to buy the printer instead yeah. than buying STLs. Well, and you can always I buy have the, so many STLs. You can always buy the terrain as needed. Too. Right. If you're like, that's, oh, we're gonna go do some I'm desert doing. stuff. I'll buy some desert stuff. I, I for a while I was falling into a trap where I was buying STLs just because they were good value, uh-huh. and it's like I'm not I don't print. 80% of them. Yeah. So am I really saving money? It's that, you know, it's how mm-hmm. when you go to the store and something's on sale and you end up spending more money that you wouldn't have, you didn't really save money. You that, spent more I, money I than you should have. I didn't need this You thing, didn't need it. But I'm a sucker for a deal and it yeah. was on sale. So. But anyway, we're looking forward to what happens with your uh, Warlock next session. Mm-hmm. And then we're also looking mm-hmm. up to wrapping up Call of Cthulhu. But other than that, we're mm-hmm. just printing and painting. All right, so onto what we're drinking today, served by our dear bartender Olaf. What do we got? This is a Lion Bridge lemon lime cheesecake bar. Um, it I is love a, it. It is an ale with key lime, mayor lime, cream cheese, and graham cracker. It is very citrusy. I like, and as we talked about in the last episode, I like citrus. I do too. I don't know how many of these I could get away with drinking all at once because it is very potent, but I do, it's a very interesting, unique, and flavorful beer. They sell them as a four pack and I could <clears> drink <throat> all four. I'm, I'm just, <clears throat> I don't know that I would get tired of it. I think two, uh, I think, I think two would be my limit on this guy. 
It's not a bad beer, but it's not something that I can just guzzle. It's very citrus forward, mm -hmm. and I'm all about that. It is. It does have, you can taste kind of that creamy cream cheese to it. Yeah, like the, the graham cracker the is the most subtle. I feel like they listed the flavors in, <laughs> in order, order of prominence. That's in the true. Same, in the same way that the ingredients list for, is listed on our uh, nutritional data. It's got graham I'm cracker, from, but I'm not getting a lot of graham no, cracker. I'm getting a lot of key lime and Meyer lemon. Yeah, no. I, I might save a little bit of this for the wife and see if she, uh, <laughs> if she wants to give it a go. Oh, yeah, it's pretty good. Uh, so as we drink our lemon lime cheesecake bar, let's talk about world building. Okay. Let's talk about how world building is one of the most enjoyable things a a dungeon master or a game master can do is to create your own homebrew setting. It doesn't matter what system uh, that you prefer to put it in. Uh, you know, you, you pick the set, the system that works for you. You pick the mm -hmm. system that your players want to play and the one that you want to run. Uh, at some point you have to consider how your setting interacts with your system. But what I'm talking about is when you're coming up with the lore of your world, where do you start? Do you have any ideas? Lance? I mean, I think <clears throat> I think that you need to have a theme right out of the gate. Okay, so you like, want you want to start with a theme first and foremost. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I think so. Well, because you know our, our our current project that is centered in Norse mythology, the theme for that was obviously Norse mythology. Well, on on top of <laughs> well, Norse mythology is important, but what else uh, is included in that? You wanted to. I remember that you talked about how you wanted it to be heroic. Yeah, you wanted it to be. Mm -hmm. um, so, like, not grimdark. You don't want it to be simulationist. You want it nope. to be uh, heroic I, I am fantasy. Perfectly okay watching my players' characters wade through weaker enemies. Oh yeah, like, like I don't, I don't want it to be one of those where your power level is one to one with the average mook that's on the on the tabletop. Right, where every fight is a is a struggle. No, yeah, struggle I, I, you... I, I want to watch a Viking berserker wade through a sea of characters. Leaving a just bloody a wall path of Draugr ahead. Yeah, just Draugr or, or you know, like like if they're raiding a village, all the, the people defending it or or whatever, you know, whatever the, the opposition is. The uh, the <laughs> ill-equipped peasant militia. Yeah, just just <laughs> waiting, waiting through that, you know, that sea of blood and gore. Right. But I mean, you know, if you want like, because fantasy settings, for, for example, come in a number of flavors. You know, back to the, the Warhammer thing. Do you want a setting that is very grimdark and feels very oppressive to everybody playing it? Because that is going to require a vastly different amount of world building than if you just want a, a general high fantasy magic campaign. And when you're talking about this, this is kind of where the system interacts with the setting and it does become important. Mm -hmm. Despite what I said earlier, having a system and a setting interact well is like a... It's it's one of those uh, the sum is greater than its parts kind of things. Yeah, see, and I'm I'm kind of a build a better mousetrap guy. If I have a setting and I can't find a good system for it, and uh, there's plenty of systems out there. So if you're not a build a better mousetrap guy, find one. But yeah, I'm the kind of person a... that I will just start engineering my own system. Yeah, <laughs> like well, I'll just build one from scratch. Who cares? That's another thing that you can do as a game master is hack systems mm -hmm. to work in your favor. Change rules so as you see fit. Um, I, uh, so you've got your building blocks here where you've got the type of themes you want to run. All right, let's say that you're going to do a heroic 
fantasy setting. This is a, you know, because let's... This is what D&D is, so, mm-hmm. whether it be sword and sorcery or heroic fantasy or grimdark fantasy. Uh, a lot of people are playing 5th edition or Pathfinder or th- anything that is a competitor for that, right? So if you're going to be building a heroic fantasy world like that, where do you start in that world? So let's assume you're playing one of these games, Pathfinder or D&D. Where do you, where do you start to build your world? Um... I generally start with the opposing forces. Okay. Whether that be the gods and well, like the gods being the good gods and the bad gods, or whether whether you have like you know, let's say they one of the, the overarching themes of your campaign is this evil army that's marching across the land, causing all this trouble. It. You, I know. I know that you haven't watched it, uh, probably. But Matt Colville has a video on this actually about sen- the central tension. Does he? Okay. He yeah. That's, that's. So if you haven't watched that video, I haven't. But yeah, that's. I think that's what I'm getting at, though. Yeah. Is exactly. Like, whatever the. I recommend it to everyone like, listening, especially because I, I always think that if you're doing kind of a more grim dark setting, it has to be a more grounded setting. You should be almost less worried about what the gods are up to. Yeah. And more worried about what the the humans or the mortal races in service to those gods are up to. You know, if, if that means that there's a, a massive evil army or even just like a misunderstood army that is, is ransacking things and marching across, you know, the, the world or the, the, this particular continent or this particular country, you know, what are their motivations? What are they doing? Why are they doing it? What kind of, what's the ramifications of that? What is, what does it mean to the average villager that this is going on? I mean, is this, are the villages living in this constant state of tension because they know that this army is slowly moving its way across the land and eventually is going to get to them? Do you have huge amounts of, of people migrating to the bigger kingdoms for safety as their villages are being overtaken? Stuff like that. You have to kind of, at least where I'm going to start is I'm going to start at at the forces that are at play. Okay. So you whatever the whatever the major players are in your world. That is correct. Yes. I like to, so it's it's somewhat related to what you said. I like to start with the gods themselves. Mm-hmm. If there is a setting that has gods, I like to flesh out the pantheon first. Mm-hmm. Um, and usually fleshing out the pantheon you can do it you can do it one of two ways what is the culture like and what are the types of gods that they worship and that can inform the types of pan- the type of gods that you create for your world well and i think that also depends on how active the gods are in the, in the world. right like exactly. the more active the gods are the more that you have to flesh them out yeah if they are major players mm-hmm. that actively respond with words like complete sentences mm-hmm. rather than cryptic clues yeah i mean if, if you know you have a goddess of nature that's more of an abstracted idea than an active force in the universe that requires a little less fleshing out than if you have this this active goddess or god that is doing stuff that that is noticeable to the players mm-hmm. and influential on it i mean like if you had a world that didn't have clerics in it for example your necessity to flesh out the gods becomes substantially less oh yeah if, the, if there's no divine magic then mm-hmm. even if the gods are there you don't have to worry too much about them because at that but point then you have to worry about why is there no divine yeah. magic is, is there a reason <laughs> have for the gods it? abandoned us are they, they were they never there to begin did, with yeah did something scary imprison and or destroy them imagine running a setting where there's no divine magic uh and that's because there's no gods and then the players after the end of their campaign become the first gods in in the entire world that's a wild idea you you get to play like at the the as the progenitor Uh, that's that's a cool idea yeah there's like there's 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 some cosmic force in the world that 
um, allows people to ascend, but there's no actual gods there's there. There's no gods in, yet. In filling those roles. Yeah. And your players become the first. That could be pretty wild. Yeah. Or yeah. I would almost like to see a setting where whatever the major big bad evil is, not the big bad evil to the players, but the actual settings big bad evil, has actually killed the gods. Oh, yeah. That's, like, you're, you're living one. in a world where, like, divinity has existed. It's not like an atheistic world in the sense that there, you know, there is no well, that's god. Kind of, that's kind of like what Shadow of the Demon Lord kind of is. Did it? Because you're, that... you're playing... It's called Shadow of the Demon Lord because it's, like, the Demon Lord 1. Oh! That's, that's why the name of the Senate... Because you're living in the shadow of the Demon Lord. That's, I have not read enough of that to... to that sounds cool. Shadow <laughs> of the Demon Lord is basically the Victor Apocalypse. The bad guy has already kind of won or is towards the end of winning. That's pretty pimp. Yeah, that's that's kind of the basis of the setting. And I think gods might still exist, but I, I don't know whether or not the gods well, I mean, are quote-unquote dead. Even if they but, weren't destroyed, if they were imprisoned or locked away yeah. by whatever the major evil was, that would be a, that would be a pretty wild kind of setting to play in. So in addition to the gods, uh, the next thing I think about is... is the nature of magic. If you're playing a fantasy game, magic is... When you look at the Wikipedia definition of what defines the fantasy genre of novels, it is basically the inclusion of magic. Some form of magic is what transforms your novel from fiction to fantasy fiction. And so if you're playing in a fantasy game, I assume magic will be involved somehow. Even if it's just super rare and only like there's only five wizards that exist, mm-hmm. or whether it's Eberron and everyone knows a cantrip or two, uh, magic is something that you need to have figured out. Where does it come from? Where does it go? Cotton Eye Joe? <laughs> yeah, no, and, and figure out what it is capable of. Because yeah, what, depending what on the setting, can, you know, some, how is it harnessed? Some some forms of magic can alter reality. Maybe you don't want magic to be that powerful in your setting. Maybe oh, you yeah. want, you know, magic, maybe magic can only conjure, say, the basic elements. You can make a little bit of fire or move a little bit of water, do a little uh, Avatar style, where that's, you know, it's a smaller factor. Which is an important thing. Are you born with it? Can you be trained in it? Mm-hmm. It's It's... That's something that I always approach. The first two things when I think about um, making a fantasy world. What are the gods like, if there are gods, and what is the nature of magic? Then from there, I go on to the nations. Uh, I will take the first nation that the players are going to start in, and then the nearby nation that they might be uh, in a kerfuffle with. Mm -hmm. And then out from there. Yes. Uh, so once you have these three outer things, in my opinion, that's enough to now zoom in Mm. on the map and flesh out the nearby area of whatever village or tavern your players are starting in. Well, and you know what I think is fun about world building in a tabletop game? You don't have to finish before you start. Exactly. Yeah. Like you can let the players kind of build the world for you. If you... For example, if you fleshed out, like, the kingdom that you're immediately in and, like, the major players around that, and somebody comes up with a character idea that involves coming from a faraway kingdom that you haven't even created or thought about yet, you're like, cool, I'm going to make this... I'm going to take this this player's idea and I'm going to make it a part of the, the canon of the world. Right, your, your player approaches you and is like, oh, I know that your the primary nation mm-hmm. we're starting in doesn't have a lot of gunpowder, but is there, like, a nation across the ocean that does yeah. have gunpowder <laughs> there and, is now and, yeah, yeah you, you just look at them and in your brain you're like oh i didn't think of that but then you just look at them dead in the dead in the face and say 
Yes. Yeah. Yes, there is. It, and, and, and I mean, that, that's only applicable if it's a setting that you think gunpowder should be applicable in. Oh, yeah. But I mean, if they if they pitch an idea to you and you're like, yeah, this works really well. I like this idea. It fits great in my vision of this world. Then congratulations. Your players just did you a huge favor by giving you the seed of this idea that you could then help build up into this thing that, you know, will eventually be a part of the, the overall canon of your universe. In my heroic fantasy world, um, I like it when you guys come up with your character concepts. I always encourage you to just make up a town. Like, mm-hmm. if your characters are from a small town instead of one of the... Because ca- I flesh out all the capital cities and the nations. Yeah. But if you guys have, like, a small town idea, mm-hmm. I love that you can just come to me with that, and then we can put it on the map. You just you write it in your notes. Yeah, you write like, it in the notes. Do I, I put this. a little dot on the map <laughs> on the program I use for the uh, app building, which, admittedly, I still have to finish that map, but I haven't needed it in a while. So, anyway. We'll get back to it eventually. Yeah. That's another thing you get to do is make a map. <laughs> Um, I hate making maps. Well, and I loathe it. You, if you don't have a clear vision, there's a lot of uh, fun ideas out there for making maps because your players are going to want to look at a map. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, most of the time, uh, if you say, "Hey," uh, I think it's just part of even even Lord, Lord of the it's Lord it's it's his fault, right? <laughs> it's his fault because uh, Tolkien has a map right there. And now every fantasy novel has a map in the front yep, of it. And like, so now every... And then D&D has a map. And just... It's implied that if you have a fantasy game, there's going to be a fantasy have to have map. A map. You just... kind of have to have a map. And there's a lot of free tools out there. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of cheap tools out there. I was going to say... I, I, I re- personally recommend Wonderdraft. It's a one-time purchase. Mm-hmm. And then you have the license forever. Yeah, I mean, I, I think there are a lot of really good ones. But I tend to loathe anything that involves a subscription. Mm-hmm. Like as a program, if it's a program that I'm going to need on and off for years. Oh yeah. Because I don't have the sense to cancel it if I'm not using it and to come back to it later. So for Wonder, because I, I have Wonder Draft too, I think that's that's the one we've been using for our game. Wonder Draft and Dungeon Draft yeah. are both mm-hmm. good. And we are not we are not sponsored. No, we are not. <laughs> but I like that program because it is a one time purchase. I think you can go back and purchase different bonus packs to it that add different different kinds of icons and stuff that you oh, can yeah, use. You can get, but more, at its um, its assets. base at its base level, it's like thirty some bucks, I think, if I remember right. And once you got it, you got it, which oh, yeah. is great because. It's, it makes it a lot easier for you to be able to do that. I kind of wish the program came with a quote-unquote random generation function where you could say, I want a map that is this many miles by this many miles and like maybe set basic criteria for terrain and then just click a button and have it make a map. I was going to say, there is a random land generation one, but I don't think it fills out mountains and stuff. Yeah, see, I, I would you, can, like, you can generate random continents in it, but it's... See, yeah. I mean, that's still that's still helpful. Because, yeah. I mean, for me... Okay, what about... Uh, what about um, what if you're going to hand draw it? You don't have a computer. You don't have fancy software. You just got your big pads of paper. I uh, have never done it, but I've always wanted to do that thing where you just take a bunch of dice and throw it on and a, throw, throw it, it out on a piece of paper. Yep, and, and like D4s are islands. Uh, D6s represent primary landmass. Uh, you know, D8s are mountains. Now, um, you know what we need? A computer program that will throw a random set of computerized dice on that. And then... Because and then my do, thing with the random map is... If I have a random map on paper, at some point I'm going to have to transfer it to something digitally, which means I'm going to have to put in the work regardless. Oh, yeah. Whereas if you had a program that did exactly that, 
that would be cool. <laughs> like, oh yeah, that would be awesome. Just, just like random handful of dice thrown on a map, and then it just kind of generates those things based on that criteria. I think that'd be neat. I saw a TikTok the other day of someone doing that same idea, but they just used uh, beans, like uncooked mm. beans. Yeah, no, I mean, you could, you could use anything for it. I mean, that's if you're going really low-tech when you're doing your maps, a large piece of paper and any kind of marker that you can throw at it, as long as you know what those mean and you can draw stuff around them, it works. So we've got maps. We've got religion. We've got the way the gods interact with the world and their followers. We have uh, your cultures kind of that wind into both the religion and the the way your governments and nations work, how do, you know, how, how our taxes worked. Um, these are the types of things that you've got to have figured out. But uh, what I want to stress to the player is that once you have these basic building blocks, or sorry, the, the game master, the to the game master, once you have these basic building blocks in place, then focus on the smaller bits. Um, it's important that you know the way the world works because in the previous episode of the rule versus rule of cool, you talked about how as the player, it's important that you know how the rules work mm -hmm. because if the rules suddenly change, now you don't know how the world works, yep. which is an important statement about world building. And that is why the system and the setting interacting with each other, yeah, it's, it's, it can be important at times because you need to know how the world works. Once you know how the world works, you can populate the tavern where they're starting at and flesh out the bartender and the quests nearby. Anything else to add? No, not really. Okay. So yeah, once you've got the natural laws and the basic background information, anything else can just be, uh, it can come as needed, if need be. Start small and work your way out. Because otherwise you're going to do a ton of work, and then you might be really excited about the uh, politics between... Uh, the elves of Naragond and the the dwarven nation of Gorthak, and they the players don't give a crap because that's <laughs> eleven hundred miles away minimum before well, you even reach the border. You know that's 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 all the more reason to let your players help inform the smaller parts of that world to give them something to care about. Yeah. So get the big get some of the important big stuff out of the way and then start small. That's all I have to say on the subject for now. Uh, maybe in a future episode we can talk uh, really deep dive into the different subsets of world building. Uh, I think we could do an entire episode on magic and religion and nations each. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So for that, thank you for joining us today. Uh, I hope that you have enjoyed your beverage in the comfort of the ever-burning hearth here at the Game Master's Speakeasy, whether you be player or Game Master or just random interested person. Um, if you want to reach out to us, uh, the email that Lance and I and both have access to and read, we would like to hear your questions, respond to topics here on the podcast. It is gmspeakeasyofficial at, g, uh, at gmail.com. And we look forward very much to hearing your topics. Not that I'm lacking in ideas, but it's a lot of fun to respond to people. We've only gotten to do it a couple times. Uh, other than that, we hope that you get home safe. See ya. Want to hear more from the record button? You can find us wherever you find podcasts, like Transistor, Stitcher, Spotify, and YouTube. To stay up to date on our releases, find us on Facebook at the Record Button Production Group and on Twitter at TRBPRODGRP. Or stop by our website at recordbuttongroup.com, 
where we have links to our merch and other shows such as Wasteland Active Radio and Why Did I Write This. Thank you for listening.